Hello everyone at Potton. This is Andy, as you probably have guessed. It's uh, it's really lovely that I'm able to, in a strange kind of way, preach God's word to you this morning. I was really pleased when Alan rang up the other day to ask if I'd be willing to make this recording, and of course I'm very pleased to do so. It seems ages since I've seen you all, and I must say I've missed you very much, and I've missed it, missing the opportunities to to see you over these next few weeks and months but hope and pray that things will get back to normal fairly soon and it'll be lovely to to see you all again. Uh, I've been in touch with Colin and Alan over the last week or so just to find out how everybody is and uh, so I've got a number of items to uh, to pray for members of the fellowship so I thought it would be good if we pray together now. So let's close our eyes and bow our heads and call upon the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are with us even in these very strange and uncertain days. Thank you that you are the Lord of all and we can trust you and we can have confidence, Lord, in all that you're doing in our world, in our country, in our town and uh, in our churches. We give you praise and thanks for our Lord Jesus. Thank you that we've recently been remembering him coming back from the dead after dying for our sins upon the cross. Thank you, Lord, that you know all about the things that we're going through and you know those who have been uh, struggling recently. We think of our brother Cliff, who uh, is still uh, very unwell with a chest infection. Please do be with him and continue to uphold dear Iris as well. Thank you, Lord, that Mike is making good progress after uh, having had that fall uh, and damaging his shoulder and being badly affected. Please do be with him and Doreen, and thank you for the help that their son Dan has been to them as well. Uh, thank you that Paul uh, has had the radiotherapy. Please uh, renew him in his strength, encourage him in his walk with you, dear Lord. And thank you that Jenny and Grace are also recovering, having had the virus recently. Lord, please be with us now as we turn to your word to read it and to think about a message from it. May this be a blessing to each and every one of us. And we pray these things in the name of our wonderful Saviour, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, our, our short reading is Matthew chapter 16 and verses 13 to 18. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and beginning to read at verse 13 down to verse 18. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want us to look at, at a part of verse 18 uh, as a text, which I think is probably one of the most encouraging in the whole of the New Testament. 
if we're Christians listening to this message, it's a text that we can greatly rejoice in and it's a text that we can warmly cherish. And it's also one that should give us a tremendous sense of comfort at this time, uh, at any time really. It's a text that is all about our Lord Jesus Christ, of course. There's no doubt about that at all. He is speaking. He is making a very wonderful promise. But the text also includes his people. Why? Because we are bound up in him and in his work in this world. Keep this in mind as we look at four things about the Lord Jesus that we find here. Have a look at verse 18 and particularly the second half of that verse. The Lord says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Firstly, let's notice Jesus's assignment, his assignment. Our Lord and Saviour had been given and was undertaking and continuing and would complete the grand assignment of the whole of history, the greatest building project the world has ever known. In fact, it's so great that it makes the Burj Khalifa, the tallest building in the world in Dubai, which is apparently 829.8 metres tall, it makes it look just like a bungalow. The assignment that the Lord Jesus has makes the pro proposed newest largest building in the world in Moscow is going to be in the shape of a volcano and has already been nicknamed Crystal Island and it's going to be nearly 27 million square foot. Jesus's project makes that look like a tin hut. It also makes the grandest of grand designs look nothing more than a little sandcastle. What the Lord Jesus describes here is something absolutely incredible. It was conceived in eternity in the councils of the very Trinity of God, conceived and formulated and planned long, long before this universe was spoken into existence by the Almighty. The cost involved to accomplish this assignment was unspeakably high. To say that there was no expense spared, would not go within a million miles of describing the colossal sacrifice, a, that God the Father made in allowing his unique and perfect Son to take on the assignment, or b, that God the Son made in allowing himself to endure the punishment of the sins of millions and millions of people as he hung on the cross, which he did so that this building work could be brought ultimately to perfect completion. The significance of this building project is such that it would result in no less a thing than it being the war to end all wars, the war between mankind and his creator. Into that war came Jesus to be the intermediary, one who would bring about unending peace for all those who would believe upon him and bring about not just an end of hostilities, but the beginning of a loving relationship with God that would last forever and ever. And our text reminds us that this assignment given to the Lord Jesus 
undertaken by the Lord Jesus was done so completely willingly. When the Lord uttered these great words, I will build my church, there was no grudging compulsion that is sometimes true of husbands when they're asked by their wives to take on yet another job around the house. Oh no, here was the happy volunteer, the happy loving volunteer, the happy loving volunteer way above any and all others. There are some lovely words in Hebrews chapter 10 verses 5 to 7 where the Son of God is being spoken of uh, and quoted from Psalm 40. And the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, uh, says in that, that quotation, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Imagine that, that the Lord Jesus delighted to come on this divine assignment. He chose to come for the likes of you and the likes of me. Isn't that truly incredible? And what a high privilege that we have. A high privilege we all have if we're believers to be part of this programme as well. To be part of this building project too. The project of souls being wonderfully saved and added to the church of Jesus Christ. A work that will continue to go on until that day when he comes again and his work will be finally and fully completed. Well, secondary, secondly, let's notice his authority, the Lord's authority. After all, the church belongs to Jesus Christ. How few occults there would be in the world today if more people realised that truth. It does not belong to Rome or the Watchtower Association or to the Latter-day Saints. Oh, and it's not yours or mine either, is it? Jesus says, I will build my church. Have you noticed how often when we describe another local church to someone, we say something like, oh, that's my sister's church. Or even worse, we use the name of the pastor and say, oh, that's Mr. So-and-so's church. I find myself doing it too at times and I try hard not to. Twenty years ago, when we first moved to Dunstable and joined the Baptist church here, a friend asked me, do you go to Paul Brown's church? He was the pastor here at the time. I replied, no, I don't go to his church, and Paul would be very upset if you referred to it as Paul Brown's church. Oh, you know what I mean, the friend responded, and of course I did know what he meant, and I hope I wasn't just being pedantic to draw attention to the fact that maybe we need to be a little more careful in our choice of words when we speak about local churches. Yes, there's a genuine sense in which we can call the local church our church, if we're members there. But let us never take glory from the Lord, because ultimately it is his church. The universal church is his, and local churches are his as well. 
Yes, we may be stalwarts in our church, we may be pillars of the church, we may even be elders of the church, we may be large donors of the church, we may be long-standing members of the church, but ultimately our church is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How our text has been misused over the years. It's a good reminder that the context is always important in preaching from verses. Let me give you a little illustration of why context is so uh, vitally important. Some years ago, a friend in the church in Dunstable called Frank, who, by the way, is a very fervent prayer warrior, was praying at the midweek Bible study and prayer meeting. He knew that that coming Saturday was the monthly open air in the town centre. And so Frank prayed, Lord, we ask your blessing on those going into the town centre on Saturday to preach the gospel. May many be arrested. Now, if Frank had stopped there, we might have asked, Brother, whose side are you on? But thankfully, his prayer didn't stop there. And he continued, May many unbelievers be arrested by the preaching of your word. You see, the context really is so important. And the Lord did not say here, On this rock, I will build Peter's church. No, he said, my church. Now, Peter had just made a very important statement of faith concerning the Lord Jesus after the Saviour had inquired of the disciples who were people saying that he was, and they suggested a number of different answers. And then Simon Peter, as though speaking on behalf of the others in verse 16, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter was then commended for saying that by the Lord Jesus. What the Lord then said about Peter surely was meant in the context of him being one of the apostles, even the leader of the apostles, if you like. Yes, Peter was senior, but he was not superior. All of those men, bar Judas, of course, went on to faithfully preach that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and many of them later wrote about Christ too. This is just what the Lord Jesus' church has been built upon, the Apostles' teaching, which was the very foundation of this amazing building. It's just what the Apostle Paul would say in Ephesians two nineteen and 20. He spoke of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Yes, Peter was used in gathering and strengthening Jesus' church. He was an important part of the beginning of the building projects. Just read Acts chapters 1 to 12 to, uh, to see that clearly. And then later he was inspired to write two of the 27 books of the New Testament. And so that apostolic work in that sense is still important as it is read by people throughout the world. But there is nothing said in scripture about Peter being the first in what some have said are an unbroken succession of popes. Did you know that one of the titles that popes are given is Vicar of Christ? 
That means representative of the Lord Jesus Christ here in this world. Oh no, the real representative of Christ in this world is the Holy Spirit, and by extension, those in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. In other words, if we're Christians, that means you and that means me. Well, thirdly, let's notice from this verse the Lord's adversary or opponent. My son Josh and I were watching a programme a, a while back where a chap was using a digger to demolish a very old but very large shed at the bottom of his garden. You could see so clearly how much this man was enjoying himself. And that is just like the adversary of the Lord Jesus, the enemy of the church. The phrase gates of hell, or can be translated gates of Hades, represents the devil and his demons, who have, as it were, rushed out into the world to wreak all the havoc they can upon the church. Some try to argue that Hades only means the place of the dead, but how can a place of dead people possibly be any threat to the work of the one who is Lord of all? Many would want to tell us that Satan just exists, that he's a myth. Well, how very different this world would be if that was true. There would have been no fall and its horrible consequences. We might never have left Eden and that wonderful daily evening walk with the Lord that Adam and Eve first enjoyed. And there would have been no antagonism in the world towards the church, and yet there is in so many countries. Perhaps we can think of so many other things as well that would be very, very different if the devil wasn't around. But he does exist. He is around and he likes nothing more than trying to batter and bruise and bash the church. No, not the bricks and mortar. We know that that isn't the church. Satan loves trying to destroy the blood-bought people of God. You see, he hates the Lord Jesus and so he hates the building work of the Lord Jesus. Sadly, we ourselves may be guilty at times of at least hindering the Lord's great work. But more often than not, there is an unseen hand behind the difficulties and the oppositions that we may have to face and deal with. I suppose there's so much more that can be said about the devil, but we don't really want to do so, do we? Why would we want to focus upon him? We want to focus on the Lord. But just think of this for a moment before we move on to our final point. The devil doesn't blow hot and cold toward his work as we sometimes can in our service in the Lord's work. The devil is wholeheartedly dedicated to what he is trying to do, to the assignment that he has given himself to do. Perhaps in some small way, therefore, he should serve as a challenge to all of us Christians and to our churches. Since we're to be involved in such a wonderful work, a work not of tearing down but of building, shouldn't our zeal be consistently red hot for our Lord and Saviour in whatever he gives our hands to do in his gracious service?
So fourthly and finally, the Lord's assurance concerning his great building project. I will build my church, Jesus said. And two things to note here. Firstly, it's a wonderful thing that the Lord's assurance has been and still is being played out in this world. It's not just in the history books of the church where we can go to read of epic things the Lord has done in bygone days. We can do that and we should do that. History is so important for the church today. There is so much to thrill us as well as challenge us. And of course, biblical history itself, the most important place to go to of all. And several of the Psalms exhort us to look back. For example, in Psalm 106, verse 2, the questions are asked, Who can utter the mighty deeds of the Lord or declare all his praise? The writer then goes on to describe some of those mighty acts. And when we come into the New Testament, don't the Gospels and the book of Acts make such thrilling reading to see the great things God was doing at the beginning of the building of his church. And then, of course, the more recent history books of our own uh, history in this land and what the Lord has done and so greatly blessed the church in the United Kingdom over many centuries. Such tremendous high points such as the Reformation in the 16th century. Not that long ago I was reading a biography of the great Martin Luther. Boy, what a story. One man took a stand against the enormous power of the Pope and the Church of Rome in the 16th century. Luther was famously required to stand before a large audience in April 1521 at a hearing known as the Diet of Worms. Worms being the name of the town, by the way, not the food that was on the menu there. Luther boldly stated in the hearing of the Holy Roman Emperor, several German princes and many religious dignitaries. He said, Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. Luther's stand had a huge impact throughout Europe. And we can rejoice as we look back upon those great things. But don't forget, dear friends, the Lord is also doing great things today. I heard the testimony at a GBM meeting in Tring a few years ago from a Filipino pastor who was visiting from the city of Cubao in Manila. You may have heard of him. His name is Ismael Monteo. He shared at that meeting that as a young man he went to work in Saudi Arabia, just like many of his countrymen. If you know anything about Saudi Arabia, it's one of the most oppressive regimes in the world. Seriously though, it's a very hard place indeed for the gospel. Well, would you believe it? That is exactly where Ismail was converted to the Lord Jesus. 
While he was there, one evening he was invited to a secret meeting. He heard the gospel and was saved. And now he's back home in the Philippines serving his Lord Jesus, the Lord who is building his church still today. And the second thing about this assurance is that it's a wonderful thing that the Lord's assurance is our assurance too. It really is. After all, where would we be without exceedingly great and precious promises like this one? How much harder would it be for us as part of churches to keep going without a promise like this, especially in tough times when perhaps very little seems to be happening regarding growth in our church? Yet here's the thing. This promise was not just for the days of Martin Luther. It was not just for the days of the people who founded Potton Baptist Church. It is still for us today. Look at the words of it again on the page of Scripture. They haven't faded, have they, with the passing of time? No, they're still there, nice and clear, in black and white. Or maybe you've got a red and white text for the words of the Lord Jesus. The assurance is this, nothing will stop the Lord building his church. Despite the terrible persecution of Christians in many regions of the world. I was just reading earlier today of the, uh, the latest report from the Barnabas Fund. And they were sharing about something so awful that had happened in Nigeria. Let me just briefly read part of it to you. Seven vulnerable older Christians, unable to flee as hundreds of Fulani militants attacked their village in Plateau State, Nigeria, during the national COVID-19 lockdown. They were burnt to death in their homes. This is dated uh, just uh, the 14th. More than 300 gunmen descended on the Christian village of Huke near Jos in the early hours of the 2nd of April, setting fire to at least 23 homes. The youngest of those killed was aged 67 and the oldest 90. We can't imagine uh, in rel the relative safety of Britain such unspeakable things happening, but they are happening. People are giving their lives because of their faith in the Lord Jesus. And we might think that that's something disastrous for the church. But dear friends, I read a, a book about a Chinese pastor uh, many years ago now called The Heavenly Man. And he went to visit America after he'd endured prison many many times in his homeland and after speaking at a meeting a man came up to him and said oh brother we're we're praying that the lord would stop the persecution in china and the pastor challenged him and said oh no friend he said don't do that he said the the persecution benefits the church it doesn't harm the church and when we look a bit more deeply at these things we can understand why that it really the persecution makes it mean something to be a Christian. And that stand, uh, though in the midst of terrible hardship and trials, can be such a challenge and such a blessing to persecutors and to people watching on.
I hesitate to say that perhaps we need a bit of persecution in this country, but there are little bits of evidence here and there that perhaps it's coming. Well, let's not so much pray that the Lord would take it away then if it does come. Let's just pray that the Lord would give us grace and strength and boldness to represent him faithfully. And that in in whatever men and women may seek to do in their opposition towards the church of Jesus Christ, the words, the promise of the Lord Jesus will stand and will come true, come what may. Jesus has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. May that give us true encouragement today as our church life is so upside down and we might think that there's little or nothing we can do toward continuing to be involved in this building project. But the Lord is in control and when things get back to normal, perhaps there'll be many more people who will be asking questions about serious matters, about life and death and heaven and hell, about God and Jesus and salvation. And so may the Lord equip us that we might be ready and willing and able to speak a word in season if and when those days come and that God will use our testimony, the testimony of what we speak, the testimony of how we live to be a part of this incredible, outstanding, tremendous, amazing building project of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, building his church for his glory and his honour and his praise. Amen. Well, let's turn to the Lord in prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace and mercy towards sinners like us is so great, is so marvellous and so wonderful that you were willing to send your only Son to build his church Thank you that he paid that ultimate price in suffering and dying upon Calvary's cross in order to secure the eternal redemption of all of his people throughout history and throughout the world. And we thank you, Lord, that we're living in a day when that church is being built because men and women and boys and girls are still turning from their sin and embracing the Lord Jesus as their saviour. Thank you that you've done that for us, Lord, that we're living testimonies of that building work going on. And we do just pray, Lord, that you would use the dear members of Potton Baptist Church in their different ways, their different avenues of service, the different opportunities you give them to be faithfully and zealously sharing the gospel and using them, Lord, that your church there in Potton may be built, that numbers would be added to that church, that there would be real numerical and spiritual growth, that your Holy Spirit would be at work in a mighty way and the church of Jesus Christ both there and in every village and town and city of our land and throughout the world may continue to be built that it may all bring honour and glory and praise to our wonderful Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, everyone. May God bless you and be with you. And God willing, I'll see you all very soon.